Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. I bet you didn't know that inventing activity by black inventors peaked in 1899, and it has never recovered. Black and Hispanic college graduates patented half the rate of white college graduates. That's just one of the reasons why you need to know about Invent Together. When our patent system gets more diverse, our nation will get stronger and more successful. Find out how you can help diverse inventors and unleash economic opportunity at inventtogether.org. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBA Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So we're both on the road this week. I think we may be both on the road next week. I think we're both going to be on the road quite a few weeks. So I'm... I am in studio next week. No, I'm, okay. I'm, and I'm not traveling nearly as much for the rest of June. So Okay. All right. So this is the this is a week where we're both traveling, but it, so far it sounds pretty good. Hope you guys don't mind our various remote accoutrement. Thankfully, we have Richard, producer Richard, making sure we sound better than we used to back in the good old days. So yeah, so I've been out doing focus groups. Kristen's out in the wonderful country, but the polls still continue. What are the top lines that you're seeing, Kristen? Uh, Top lines for this week. Trump's job approval is flat, but there seems to be a swing happening in the generic ballot. What's going on with the midterms? Then are you tired of the news? Lots of people are. We'll look at a poll about news fatigue. Then we're a bit through the looking glass on the issue of polling and free trade. GOP protectionism seems to reign even without naming the president in poll questions. And it was a good night for women running for office on Tuesday. Would more women in office change anything? We'll look at some polling about what people think about female candidates. And finally, what's right, what's wrong, Gallup's annual what is morally acceptable question battery is out. We will take a look at what people think about hot topics like alcohol and porn. (laughs) First, our poll of the week is I'm not having news fatigue when it comes to Michael Avenatti. And there are now two new polls. So there's the poll that you guys did, the Echelon Insights did last week that I looked at the tabs briefly. Quinnipiac. Did favorability of Michael Avenatti. Someone kindly tagged me on Twitter to make sure I saw it and, and with cross tabs. And he is not particularly well known. 72% feel like they don't know him well enough to have an impression of him. There were similar don't know numbers in the Echelon poll, which is not a surprise because he's sort of like new on the scene. And a couple of weeks ago when I was traveling and I was like locally with the client and it was that week that Mark Penn did a story, like wrote a piece on Michael Avenatti and and then Avenatti like dragged him on Twitter. And (laughs) I was like desperate to talk to somebody about this like exciting predicament in my Twitter life. And like nobody where I was had any idea what I was talking about as if I was like trying to like go through some sort of obscure sports data with somebody. You know, they were like, I have no idea who those people are. So Michael Avenatti is not particularly well, you know, particularly well known. He's more popular with Democrats, like two to one fave on fave. But even two thirds of Democrats don't know him. Three fourths of Republicans don't know him, I guess, because he doesn't go on Fox particularly. I think he's tried to go on Fox, but he doesn't get to go on Fox. Anyway, it's lonely on the road this week, y'all. This is what I get. Like <laughs> I, get, I get bowling about Michael Avenatti. That's what I have. That's all I'm. Uh, that's what I have for free time and leisure. 
I I still just love the fact that Michael Avenatti is actually moonlighting as my co-founder of Echelon Insights. <laughs> that is the the idea that Patrick Ruffini is secretly Michael Avenatti is like my favorite strange development of 2018. <laughs> He should try to like really like lean into that and see what happens. Like right, right. I think so too. Like you know, try to get you know hot restaurant tables that are hard to get. You know, whatever, all that kind of stuff. It was (laughs) (laughs) have like some sort of like parody Patrick as Michael Avenatti Instagram account. So speaking of of fun figures that have emerged in our consciousness since the dawning of the Trump era, so I'm very excited, and I, I guess I can say this because I I'm vain. I have a Google News alert on my name just to make sure that like you know the world's not melting down or whatever. And so there is a reporter in Utah who has written a story about Mitt Romney's E2 summit coming up this weekend, which is where I'm flying from when I leave Orlando. And last year when I was at E2, I was on a panel with the Mooch. So Mm. and so it's possible I will see the Mooch there again. This was like right before the original Mooch miss, right before (laughs) he so. You never know, man, like this cast of characters, you never know where they're going to pop up. But I I'm I would be curious to know if like does being the mooch or does being Michael Avenatti like does it actually get you fancy tables at restaurants? Like is is that a thing? I I don't know. I'll I'll have to ask Patrick to give it a try, though. You should definitely pitch Margie and Kristen's bipartisan research work on like the new Avenatti Mooch show that's in development. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, we can talk about it offline, but that's what, that, that's my. If I were to give you an assignment, that would be it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you may not want that assignment. I, that's just you know. That, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just you know, just an idea, just brainstorming. Okay, real news. Never mind my goofball news. Um. The generic ballot and Trump's approval ratings have changed a little bit. Um, it's not, you know Trump was almost at, 50, at 45 percent approval. He's dropped down a little bit to 44 percent. There's a brand new NBC Wall Street Journal poll that came out today this morning that showed him at 44 percent approval. I mean I don't want to make a lot of these differences, but it's not continuing to move up. I, I don't want to say it's moved down particularly. But yet the NBC Wall Street Journal poll showed a rebound for Democrats in the generic. That's also true with what we're seeing in, you know, overall, not just that one poll, but a couple different recent polls. So now the Democratic advantage is plus six, plus six and a half. It wasn't there. It was like plus three, you know, I think when we recorded last week. So perhaps moving independently of Trump's approval rating perhaps, with Democrats more engaged and more excited. So, you know, it seems like a bit of a turn from a week or two ago, but maybe this is just, you know, fluctuation. Sure. And I I think there's this really interesting piece of the NBC Wall Street Journal poll that the reason why that poll tends to be one of my favorites among the media, major media polls is because they have actual campaign pollster practitioners from both sides of the aisle weighing in on the questionnaire. And they have this really interesting section here where they ask about, are you more or less likely to vote for a candidate who, and it's a whole bunch of different things about Trump or the, it's, it basically grabs a bunch of things that you might see in a campaign ad, you know, someone who provides a check on Trump, um, someone who supported Trump's tax reform bill, someone who would support Nancy Pelosi as house speaker, you know, would it make you more or less likely and gives a really interesting read on how 
you know, for Democrats supporting Nancy Pelosi as House Speaker, only 21% of people say, yes, that makes me more likely to vote for you. Meanwhile, Republicans are using it as an attack, and 45% of people say it would make me less likely to vote for you. You know, some things that you, or promises to support Trump's border and immigration policies, 49% say it makes them less likely to vote for a candidate who does those things. 39% say more likely. So more of kind of a double-edged sword. You know, nationally, it's a slight net negative, but depending on what district you're in, it might be positive. Um, the tax reform bill also kind of split. Slightly more people say it would make them less likely. But it's, I like this poll because it takes lines that you, you know, you would see from a campaign ad, whether somebody's promoting themselves or someone attacking their opponent to see how is it playing out. And some of these are like a really interesting mixed bag. And I think that Trump, even though his job approval has gone up, is still not great. And he remains a mixed bag. You know, it's a downside for an awful lot of people running for office, but in some districts, it's an upside. I mean, we'll talk about this in a little bit later, but on Tuesday, you saw, you know, in Alabama, Martha Roby, who is a Republican member, you know, she's now in a runoff because she condemned the Access Hollywood tape back like two years ago. So Trump remains a, a very complicated issue if you are running in these midterms in 2018 for an awful lot of people. Yeah, I mean, it, what's interesting about this, so yeah, the, these are the kinds of lines that you would test. You you might test in focus groups, you might test in a survey. You know, it's also important to not evaluate each of these and say, okay, well, this is, you know, because 48% say they're more likely to vote for someone who promises to provide a check on Trump. That means, you know, everybody who says that they're going to be a check on Trump and, and it says it that way is going to win because this does not, in this formulation, you are actually not finding out how important that actually is to the vote or, or to someone's vote or how they are integrating all these different kinds of themes and tests to everything else they may or may not know about a candidate, right? So, you know, if they know a person, if they feel that person is independent or if they feel that or if they've met the candidate or if they feel the candidate really gets them or shares their views on other issues or, you know, has one kind of tone versus another kind of tone. Is providing a check on Trump mean that they go after Trump all the time? Or does providing a check on Trump mean that they say, well, I don't like his tweets, but I support his views on immigration? Like, what, is, what does that mean to say you're a check on Trump? It's going to depend on where you are and what candidates you're talking about. So, so these questions, they tell you something illustrative. I don't mean this to criticize them, but it, it is more than just this. And I, I would also add that there's an aspiration sometimes to some of these things that that maybe in practice voters think about it a little bit differently. You know, there there for a long time there have been questions about, you know, do you want to vote strategically? Do you feel that the that the House should be a different party than the president because you want to check and balance? And you know, there have been lots of times where people have said yes, but it doesn't mean that they vote that way because for a lot of swing voters, that's just becoming a little more strategic and processy than than a lot of voters are thinking when they think of how, who to vote for. Sure. And and even if you think back eight years ago, you know, there were some Republican pollsters that said, oh, Republicans, you should run as a check and balance on Obama. And the firm I worked for, my boss, David Winston, was very like thought that was the totally wrong conclusion and thought that Republicans needed to be running on where are the jobs and talking about put Republicans in charge because we want to help supercharge the economy. You know, I mean, there was disagreement even among Republican pollsters about whether 
did you want to run as check and balance or did that sound too much like you were saying, I would like to be an obstructionist. Please vote for me to obstruct <laughs> things. Right. Um, so right. this is, so, you know, and so the, the flip side is happening here. You know, if you are a Democrat and you run as like, I'm going to be a check on Trump. Does that actually make it easier for a Republican to come in and say, see, they want to obstruct things and look, things are going well. Um, and to, to that point, you know, something that's very different from eight years ago is the economy and to what extent people think that the president is or is not doing a good job on the economy. I mean, Obama inherited a very bad economy, but by this point in time in his presidency, the economy was still not good and voters were anxious about it. And, you know, to the David Winston, where are the jobs point? You know, he believes that was a big piece of why Republicans were able to do well. The economy now is in a very different place. And whether Trump should or should not get credit for it, they asked about in this NBC poll. Do you believe that the economy has improved and you give Trump some credit? 44% of people agree with that. Do you think the economy has improved, but you don't give Trump much credit? That's 27% of people. The economy has not really improved. That's 25% of people. And then the economy has gotten worse is 1%. Frankly, given how much people, like there's a 40% of the country that strongly dislikes President Trump, the fact that only 1% say the economy has gotten worse actually surprises me. Um, I mean, I guess if you really don't like him, you can just say the economy has not really improved or it's improved, but I don't give him much credit. But I frankly would have assumed that more than 1% would have purely for ideological reasons alone said, yeah, and him being president has screwed up our economy. Uh, his yeah. tax bill has screwed up our economy, something like that. You know, I, I feel like I would have done this question as two different questions because this question like mentions Trump in two of the categories, but not at all. And see it's, the other one. It's ones. a double barreled question by design. Right. Which whether is that's good fine, or bad. but it just should have like all the possible components to it, you know, because you don't have like, the economy is not really improved and that's Trump's fault or and that's not Trump's fault. Like, I mean, I feel like there are more things here that it, it's it's not totally clear where folks should go, depending on what they think. So, uh, you, you know, I if I were to revise this and I'm sure they had time constraints and so on to have one question that is about the economy. You know, do you think it's gotten better, stay the same, gotten worse over the last whatever, give some kind of time frame to it and then have another question how much is Trump responsible for the economy, you know, how the economy has changed or not changed in the last whatever your time frame is, right? So then you are able to see all the different, the different, the matrix of the two questions. And I think there's been some polling out there on that. And obviously, you know, I think that the finding here is consistent with other findings, which is people feel the economy is doing better. And it's something that Trump has gotten some, some credit for and probably some credit that's be some begrudging credit outside of his party base, I would suspect, with a number like this here. Yeah, um, but I, I think that that is probably the best. That question, even as worded now, is is pretty good news for Trump. I mean, that 44% does line up right with his job approval. So for Republicans, what that means is you've got to hope the economy stays good for the next couple of months because a lot of your political fortunes are hanging on it. And when you look at the generic ballot, in the last just week or so, the generic ballot has gotten a little less rosy for Republicans. When I looked at the Real Clear Politics average, you know, you've got Democrats plus 6.4 right now. That's a widening of the gap over just a week ago. A lot of that is because, A, I think Quinnipiac and Reuters 
both had big D margins. And, and, and NBC this... and NBC Wall Street Journal had a plus ten. So I think oh, it was. Oh yeah, yeah, from... yeah. So, so you've, you've had a couple all in the last week dropping that that go back to that big Dem advantage. The Reuters poll fascinates me because that's the one we talked about like a week or two ago as being pretty noisy because that was the one that had like Republicans suddenly up on the generic ballot and everybody kind of freaked out on Twitter for a day. <laughs> and now that is obviously. Uh, gone away, but so it's it's still noisy. But Republic or Democrats looking slightly better than they were uh, a week or two ago. Yeah, I mean we let's talk about the tariffs, and then we can go back to the news fatigue, right? So the <clears throat> tariffs was something that was in the you know it's been in the news recently, and again going back to this like issue of how's Trump doing on the economy and how do people feel Trump's record on the economy is helping or hurting. There's a little bit on, it was interesting. This is, I guess, it looks like it's Politico morning consult, I believe where they asked a question about tariffs. One half of the sample got a neutral wording. It didn't, it just said it was recently announced that the U S will impose a 25% tariff on steel imports, 10% on aluminum it's a very specific question. And then the other half said President Trump recently announced. And we've seen this before where there's a massive difference between whether you say something is, you know, Trump did it or you don't say that Trump did it. Here, there's not actually that much of a difference. I mean, there's, a, there's you know, more Republican support if you mention Trump than if you don't. But the difference between those two treatments is nine points. It's not dramatic. We've seen, like, I, th- I don't remember who did it a long time ago, like, here's a position, do you favor or oppose? Here's a position Trump has, do you favor or oppose? And, like, just wildly, wildly different views there. It, it, it's interesting that there isn't one. I don't know if that's something specific to tariffs or because people associate it with Trump. I'm not sure. You have more Republicans feeling that it will help the U.S. economy, then you have Democrats. But again, to this kind of earlier point, it's, you know, there are still some Democrats who feel that there's some benefit or help to the economy from what Trump is doing. Yeah, I mean, and this is, this is a big change. I, I think the reason why you're not seeing a huge gap between naming Trump and not naming Trump is this is a position that is so closely associated with him that you don't need to, you don't need to say it for people to know. And, and it has, the Republican Party and Democratic parties have totally realigned their views on this issue with around the axis of Trump that, you know, Republican voters are now no longer free traders. Um, and, and what's really fascinating is the divide this then creates between Republican voters who have followed Trump and Republicans in Congress and Republican leaders who are trying to decide, do we claw back authority on this issue from the president to stop him from doing these tariffs? And is that going to create a rift, a a further rift between Republican voters and their leaders in Congress? That is something I am watching a great deal. Right, right. I mean, you even have, I mean, it's still, I mean, here's what's interesting. They have a couple of like, what do you think about these scenarios as a result of raising tariffs? And you have majorities, you don't really see a big difference across party lines on there will be a trade war. I mean, or that foreign countries will raise tariffs on American-made products. There's not a lot of party difference here between, am I looking at this right? Yeah, there's not that much of a party difference between D's and, I mean, there's not zero, but it's not massive. 
Well, there's I, the on the question of will there be a trade war, both parties say yes. Right. On the question of is this going to do good things, is are more manufacturing jobs going to be added? If you take a look, there's a part of this that asks, you know, will there be a trade war between the U.S. and foreign countries? And there, there's a gap. You've got majorities of both Republicans and Democrats saying, yeah, trade war is likely. Democrats more likely to say that, but still both sides think that's probably going to happen. But on the, you know, are there is there an upside to engaging in this behavior? There are pretty big gaps between Republicans and Democrats on some things like two thirds of Republicans think more manufacturing jobs will be added. Only a third of Democrats think that about, you know, nearly 70 percent of Republicans think consumers will buy more U.S. made products. Only 41% of Democrats think that. So, you know, on the question of will this be good or bad, I mean, will this help on job creation? Democrats think it will hurt. Republicans think it will help. Do you think it will be hurt or help U.S. consumers? Democrats, 65% think it will hurt. Only 32% of Republicans think it will hurt. So both sides seem to think a trade war is coming. But right. they have very different conclusions about if that's good or bad. I mean, I'll be honest. I think it's a very, very complicated topic to get people, you know, oh, sort sure. of engage and wrap their minds around. I mean, I'm not surprised that there's some, you know, party similarities on like, is our other countries going to do something that's, you know, that's potentially bad? You know, yes. Right. But what does it mean for our for our, you know, a nation, nation's economy, well, then it's more mixed and people default to partisan type. But, you know, it's it's complicated. It's not something that we have had a national conversation about. You know, it's not like we talk about tariffs on a regular basis nationally. So I think it's pretty it's pretty complicated for folks. I'm, I'm curious to see how that evolves or how that gets folded into how people view Trump on the economy. Obviously, it's going to depend on what actually happens. But it's quite interesting that we're spending quite so much time talking about it. Yeah, well, the the counter argument to that is that even though it's not an issue that voters may think about a lot, it's also not a new issue. And I only say this because someone tweeted out a clip from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, <laughs> where you have Ben Stein as the as like the <laughs> economics teacher, and he's walking through like, okay, class, what? When was the last time we had tariffs? Anyone? That's what his question was about. That's it's, so it was, funny. Hang on, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll let me let me effort this and pull up the transcript. But it, it's like, yeah, it's a clip of him trying to talk about trade policy to the class, and of course, you know, Bueller, Bueller, <laughs> Ben Stein, Bueller's day off. All right, what is his quote? I mean, I'm, such a career was built over that like 30 seconds of screen time. I didn't realize that the beginning of that was about tariffs that's funny. yeah oh my gosh i have to find this now this is gonna drive me crazy here you talk that's talk all right i'm gonna talk i'm gonna talk about news fatigue okay you talk so about news it. fatigue i'm gonna find <laughs> that, this quote that is the an- antidote to talking about tariffs news fatigue this is obviously something that i hear in every single focus group and you you probably see on facebook i you know whenever i have a friend who is going on vacation they say okay i need a book recommendation. I don't want it to have anything to do with these, you know, 10 news topics and so on. I mean, ev- everybody's got it. And Pew showed, and I-, I guess this came out a couple months ago, or they conducted the poll a couple months ago, and it's just been, it's in their fact tank. Now, seven in 10 Americans are exhausted by the news, Republicans more so than Democrats. So they have this question, do you like 
the amount of news these days, or are you worn out by the amount of news? Two-thirds say they're worn out by the amount of news. Three-fourths of Republicans say they're worn out by the amount of news. 61% of Democrats. Um, and it's not a surprise. I mean, this is something that I think everybody can feel. Everybody, you know, there's no difference by education, educational attainment at all. There's, it's basically identical. I mean, you, there, there's almost no difference at all. Uh, there's very little difference by age. There's only a little bit of difference by gender where women are a little bit more likely to say they're worn out by the news than men. But it's 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 not really that dramatic. It's this kind of pervasive worry that the news is anxiety producing. It's overwhelming. It's exhausting. People want to turn it off. You know, even though more people seem to be following it, certainly it seems to be something that the you know press is investing more time in. It doesn't mean that people feel relieved by listening to the news or informed, they just feel kind of stressed out. So, uh, it, and that's, you know, people feel stressed out about the news, whether they're big news followers or they're not big news followers. I mean, obviously people who only follow the news sometimes are more likely to say they're worn out by the news, almost 80%. And people who follow the news most of the time, but still half, of, you know, over half of those, 62% say that the news wears them out. So this isn't a thing that just like people who hate the news or people who are not as, you know, uh, engaged in politics or a certain kind of demographic. This is a pervasive problem that people feel news fatigue. Not you guys, because you've made it two thirds of the way through the pollsters. So you, <laughs> you probably don't have news fatigue. But, <laughs> but other people, we've heard that other people have news fatigue. <laughs> we have the polling to back it up. So Margie, I have the quote. Okay, yeah, let's go. I think, Hit well, me. Why don't we, why don't I get into it after a little word from our sponsor? Fantastic. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online, so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Okay, so now I've got the quote from Ferris yeah. Bueller's Day Off. I'm going to try to do my best Ben Stein. Great. In 1930, the Republican-controlled House of Representatives, in an effort to alleviate the effects of the... Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> the Great Depression passed the anyone, anyone, the tariff bill, this Holly Smoot Tariff Act, which anyone raised or lowered, raised tariffs in an effort <laughs> to collect more revenue for the federal government. <laughs> did it work? Anyone, anyone know the effects? It did not work. And the United <laughs> States sank deeper into the Great Depression. Now, today we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is? Class? Anyone? Anyone, anyone see this before? Oh my God, it just goes so on. It's this funny. whole economics lesson, but it starts off with the stuff about trade. So this is not, it's not a new issue. It may not be top of mind for voters all the time, but it's not new. <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. That's basically the beginning and end of people's, you know, history lesson on tariffs. <laughs> okay. Well, that is so good. I'm so glad you brought that up. Okay. So 
We have a couple more things. The next, so we were talking, we have our new sponsor of Ladies in Business. There's some new polling on the political gender gap and talking about women candidates for office. Obviously, a lot of women have been doing well in these Democratic primaries around the country. You have a majority. I think I have this right. Follow David Wasserman, former pollsters guest. I should look it up so I make sure I have it exactly right. But it's a clear majority of women in Democratic primaries who have faced off with a man. The woman has won. Um, that, you know, it continues to be true after every kind of primary wave. He, he's been tweeting out the new number. Um, and there's a poll that asks about women candidates for office. Now, I think this is a little, you know, people can people can answer. You can ask them and they can answer. But that doesn't mean that they're necessarily giving what they truly feel. It's kind of just detached from actual women candidates and male candidates. You know, there's a social pressure to say one thing or another. That said, I think there's some interesting findings here about what's going to happen if more women are elected to Congress. Will Congress be more productive? Will Congress be less divided? Will more women then run for office or more women continue to be elected to public office? Will there be less sexual harassment? And Democrats say yes to all of those things. And Republicans say yes to just two of them. It'll encourage more women to run for office and more women will continue to be elected to office. Sort of like a more, you know, sure, if more women run, then more women will run and, and win. You know, that, that's that's where Republicans say, sure. I find it interesting that there that you don't have you have a majority of Democrats who say there'll be less sexual harassment in government. You don't have a majority of Republicans who say that if more women are elected. I thought that was kind of interesting. And, but Republicans are less likely than Democrats also to say Congress will be more productive or less divided if more women come to Congress. Wh- what this, did you think? Yeah, so that that did not surprise me a ton. So I've done a lot of research on this question of what do Republicans think about the question of getting more Republican women in office. And a lot of what I hear from from the right is is not like, oh, Republican women, we don't, you know, or women aren't as good. And like, I never hear any of that kind of stuff. But a lot of what I hear is like that you can't have it both ways where you can't say men and women are equal. Men and women should both be in Congress in equal numbers or what have you. They you shouldn't look at women differently and then say, but women are actually better at X, Y, and Z. Because the implication is, if women are better at X, Y, and Z, then are there things that they are worse at? Right. Um, you know, and so Republicans, I find generally, they're willing to say, yeah, you know, women have a different role in many households, which means they have, you know, a different perspective on issues like education or healthcare because they're making a lot of those decisions. They're willing to go there. But on things that sort of ascribe positive character attributes to one gender over another. Like they get real icky squicky about that. And I understand, I get it. So this idea that like, oh, if you have more women, Congress will be less divided and more productive. Is that implying that like guys are lazy and angry, (laughs) you know, and they don't really want to go there, which I totally get. And so I think that's a lot of what you're seeing pop out of that question, that if you are implying women have positive character attributes that men don't have, is there underlying that an implication that there are positive character attributes that men have more than women and like they don't want to go there or engage in that at all? So men and women, let's just look at them the same and move on is kind of the default, which I totally understand. Yeah, you know, I, and I've said this, too, because, you know, 
because I mean, I, I kind of agree with you. Well, first of all, I don't think we have to demonstrate that women are better in order to demand parity. I guess so. That's like an, a that's oh, like sure. a rotation of what you're saying, right? So, because you do see a lot of women who say, you know, their folks on the left are like, well, when more women are in the legislature, X, Y, and Z happens, and you know, and I do believe that there are consequences for women voters. You have more women, you know, elected who focus on women's issues. Part of that is because of the party disparity of the women who are more likely to get elected. They're more likely to be Democratic. So I think there's that there. I want to see more women come to, you know, run for office and, and get elected of both parties. Like, I'm just as happy to see, I mean, I don't want to say I'm just as happy, but I am happy to see Republican women win you know, their primaries and win on the on the right. I think even if I disagree with them, even if, you know, because I, I just feel that that's better for everybody. I feel that that's better for women just to see more women like them in leadership positions, even if I don't agree with them. I think that's a good outcome. And we don't have to demonstrate that we're better because then that, I, not, not maybe for the reason that you say, but because I think that puts pressure on the women who who run to be, they have to be twice as good and they don't have to be twice as good. They could be, you know, just as bad. <laughs> they still deserve the right to have, you know, have institutional support and the benefit of the doubt and, you know, campaign infrastructure and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so uh, so that's my that's my take, which is not quite the same angle that you're talking about, but similar. So here I found Dave Wasserman's thing here. Um, I think anyways, he said it was 70 percent. Yeah, he's never seen anything like it, though, on the Democratic side, 70 percent of the men versus women primary contests like with no with incumbent women, with no incumbent. The, the woman is winning on the Republican side. It's 38 percent, which. You know, I'd love it to be closer to 50, but I think that's actually better than I think the Rutgers folks did a study on this back a few years ago. And I don't know if I'm comparing apples to apples, but it was closer to 30. So I, I, I'm not like celebrating 38 percent, but it may be an improvement over where things have been. But so. there are also fewer of those primaries on the Republican side where there's one woman, at least one woman, at least one man, no incumbent. There's 21 of those so far on Republican primaries. There are 84 of those on the Democratic yep. side. So yep, there's yep, also, yep. you know, Democrats have a higher number and there's more, there's more of them. I mean, I, you know, it, it's a fact, whatever you think about it, that there are more women candidates engaged on the Democratic side. Like that's, you know, that's, I think, indisputable. And, and you know, it's pretty, it's pretty exciting, but I, but I, you know, I agree for different reasons. I don't think we need to demonstrate that women are better. I mean, this is like the Nora Ephron quote that I talk about a lot where she watched, you know, somebody direct a screenplay that she wrote or a book that she wrote and made her think that she wanted to get into directing. She's like, well, I could do that just as badly. <laughs> and so I think of that quote all the time, like, you know, <laughs> You don't ha and like you don't have to be twice as good. You could do it in just you know just your own flawed human way. Okay, speaking of human flaws and being human in general, Gallup has their annual poll on morality. I guess the moral acceptability of a variety of things. We've talked about this before, but it's always fun to check in. I think on some of these things here: alcohol, marijuana, pornography, divorce you know, gambling. I mean, you name it. It's all, it's all in this list. What did you yep, think? So, <laughs> yeah. So, so this made me immediately think of, I have been very engaged in the television show, The Good Place, which is, I, have you ever watched this show? It's like an NBC sitcom. It's Kristen Bell. She shows up in heaven. 
she or she has died. She wakes up in the good place, and Ted Danson, who is running the good place, as like an an uh, you know an archangel or whatever, is like welcome, and he's like. You lived such a good life, Kristen Bell. You, you know, you were helping orphans in Ukraine and, you know, all of your human rights work was so great. And she's like, yeah, totally. That was definitely me. And like the premise of the show is that she's not actually, she's not actually qualified to be in heaven. So now she has to earn her place there. But there's all sorts of interesting twists and turns. I will not spoil them. You should totally watch the show. But there is a battery of questions that gets asked up in the good place to design, it says, this is a handful of questions designed to tell whether you are fundamentally good or bad. Question number one, did you ever commit a serious crime such as murder, sexual harassment, arson, or otherwise? Question number two, did you ever have a vanity license plate like Mama's BMW, <laughs> Lexus for Liz, or Boob Guy? No. Question three, have you ever reheated fish in an office microwave? Four, have you ever paid money to hear music performed by California funk rock band The Red Hot Chili Peppers? Question five, did you ever take off your shoes and socks on a commercial airplane? Oh, my gosh. I have, there's, I have a so friend those are the five who I think listens to the show. Ask, and it's great. And she basically, you know, I mean, I'm sure your feed is the same way, right? So many of my friends travel a lot for work. So there's all these kind of like memes of the complaints people have about traveling. And like one of them is, you know, gate 35X and and national, Uh, right? And then, which I did recently, and it is not that bad. Like, I mean, it's just not (laughs) the same as the others, but like, you know, it's just, I don't know. That's how you got to get a lot of places in the country through 35X. So I I just took it with a grain of salt. But taking socks and shoes off on a plane and various kinds of plane, like boundary infractions, people putting their heads on people's shoulders, you know, people taking photos of folks, man spreading, all that stuff. I see a lot of that. I see you. I know. So I, so all all of which is to say, if anybody from Gallup is listening, can you please add a, the moral acceptability of play, paying money to hear music performed by California funk rock and the Red Hot Chili Peppers to your next battery? I mean, Uh, I'm sorry. The Red Hot Chili Peppers were so big when I was in college. They definitely would not count as a thing to be to you know as a knock against you i mean that would be like every gen xer is (laughs) implicated i i agree i don't know that i've ever actually paid money to see them live but i believe i've bought their music on itunes so i i would be i probably would have a knock against me too but on this poll you know this poll comes out right before the summer every year i remember this because back a few years ago i was doing work on the issue of birth control around the hobby lobby ruling And birth control is always the thing that tops this poll as like the most morally acceptable thing they've tested. 91% of people say birth control is morally acceptable. Only 6% of people say that it is morally wrong. Uh, Drinking alcohol, 78% of people say it's morally acceptable. Divorce, 76%. And the trend broadly, and I don't have exact points from this year comparing to last year, but they say since they began asking this battery back in, I think, 2001, You have seen most things become more viewed as morally acceptable. There are some, there are still things toward the bottom of the list, suicide, cloning of humans, various different sexual engagements involving married persons tend to be toward the bottom of the list. I'm I'm sorry. That number, 10% saying married men and women having an affair, 10% feel that that's morally acceptable. I know that people find that morally unacceptable. I'm not disputing that but that it's below 
cloning animals. It's below polygamy. It's below, you know, like some of these other things. When I know that it's got to be more than ten percent who have done this. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Like it's just oh, like for sure, the, for the, sure. the like the rate, the percentage that say it's acceptable is so low for something that I'm without knowing the actual number. I'm assuming is more widespread than a lot of the other things on this list. I mean, that to me, I find fascinating. Well, what's interesting is that polygamy, so the idea that there are married people having relations with other people in a fashion where it seems as though all parties are consenting to that arrangement is like viewed as morally acceptable by 19%, whereas the way it is described with an affair suggests that there is a party who is affected who has not consented to the arrangement. Right. And so that's why it's lower. But still, I, I think you're right that you, in studies that have been done about how prevalent this is, it is more prevalent than it is viewed as acceptable. Right. So there are people doing it who don't think it's ex- morally acceptable, which is fine. I just, you know, that number every year when this comes out, I'm like, that number seems just too low compared to everything else. Well, and I um, also assume that on this pornography question that there are, I don't want to assume, but I assume there are um, people watching people pornography who, who say who are like pornography is bad, but they they have watched it. Um, I, so, and they also found, by the way, that in, in the last year or so, the acceptability of pornography has really increased among Democrats. Yes. So among Republicans, it has gone from 25 to 27%. Among independents, it has gone from 40 to 45%. Among Democrats, it has gone from 42 to 53%. And as, as Ryan, uh, as our our, our helper on writing the script notes, he says, is this, quote, comma, or question mark, Stormy Daniels? Is there a Stormy Daniels, Michael Avenatti effect here on this question with Democrats? <laughs> I know there might be. I mean, uh, but I would I would think that you would have more Republicans than you'd see a boost with Republicans finding it acceptable if it was but a Stormy Republicans Daniels. But Republicans are not pro-Stormy Daniels. And remember, Donald Trump maintains that he has not had relations with Stormy Daniels. I mean, so... they're not pro-Stormy Daniels, but they are willing to overlook. I mean, obviously, not obviously, but just as a reminder, this isn't about a relationship with Stormy Daniels. It's about, you know, the money and the cover up and so on. But anyway, regardless of that, you, you have a lot of Republicans who kind of are, you know, saying this is not a big deal. It happened a long time ago. So what? You know, that's that's a little bit different than saying it's morally acceptable, I guess, but it's still surprising to me. If I just think if this was a Stormy Daniels effect, you would see a an equal similar boost among Republicans, even if Democrats are still going to be a little bit higher than Republicans in this well, regard. Well, just before we logged in to start taping this show, I saw that Rudy Giuliani has said that feminists should oppose the porn industry, which I know has been a debate within feminism for a long, long, long time, but that's, and that's we were all just waiting to hear what Rudy Giuliani I'm, had to say. This adds a new wrinkle to that conversation. Thank goodness. So. Finally, we were trying to figure out how this should all go and, and feminism and sex. And then, thankfully, Rudy Giuliani has weighed in. Um, okay. So key findings. It's lonely on the road, y'all. Sometimes a polling cross tab is all you have to keep you company. Keep writing your congressional hot takes in pencil, not pen. And women candidates, porn and alcohol are all getting more popular. 
You can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters individually at, at Margie O'Mero and at Soltis Anderson. Find us at www.thepolsters.com or on Facebook, where throughout the week we post links to the stories we know you will want to talk about. Make sure you tell your friends and leave a review, and we will be back next week with a brand new episode digesting everything we've seen in the polls. Thanks. Bye.